spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David E. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs. Aloha and good morning. Thanks so much for tuning in here on this Monday morning. I'm Ryan Kalei joined by Yanji Denise, and this is Spotlight Hawaii on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This morning, Yanji, we are going to be focusing in on the tourism industry. Yeah, and a big headline in today's paper as well. Joining us right now live is John DeFries, the CEO of the Hawaii Tourism Authority. Thank you so much for being here. I'm having a better hair day than that photo you used of me. <laughs> <laughs> we got to change. We, we got to change the graphic. We will get on that for sure. Uh, let's get to that headline though in the paper this morning. Lawmakers uh, denying some funding that you had at your agency had asked for to make some pretty critical repairs to the convention center. Uh, let's talk about that specifically and also more broadly how you felt the session went for your agency. Oh, I'd be happy to. Thank you. And um, going into the legislature, we had three uh, core requests, uh, $60 million in operating funds, uh, a $28.5 million increased expenditure ceiling. Uh, for your viewers, that has to do with uh, being able to spend money that is brought into the center as well as what is appropriated. And then we also had a $64 million capital improvement project request to deal with a age-old problem at the, the center, which is the rooftop repair. Um, we came out of the session with uh, $60 million in operating funds. The expenditure ceiling was increased to 28.5, but we came out with only $15 million uh, to deal with the rooftop. Now, in a, as a standalone investment, that 15 million will probably produce a three to five year short term solution, a Band-Aid, essentially. In doing that, however, the, the legislature made it clear to us that what it wants to see is a future vision of the center going forward over the next 20, 25 years. And to that end, they also appropriated to DBED a $500,000 uh, appropriation that will um, make an assessment, conduct a survey, and take a look at what's happening in the conventions industry from the market side of it to uh, the surrounding real estate, some of which remains undeveloped or underdeveloped, and begin to look at it much more holistically and with a future eye on it. The end result is that the legislature is clear it wants the state of Hawaii to be alleviated of the annual uh, cost that it takes to run the center and very much wants to see uh, a private-public partnership emerge out of this. Now, none of us have the, the solution to that today, but the appropriation at DBED will be a big help. And so let's dive a little deeper into just the you know, the, what is happening there with the facility as a whole. I mean, it's showing its age, uh, not only with this 
uh, issue with the rooftop and this leaks, but there's other areas that need repair and maintenance overall. Moving forward, uh, as this potential private partnership evolves, um, how are you going to you know, solve some of these issues that could potentially yeah. interrupt um, businesses okay. or organizations from coming in and utilizing the convention center? Status quo, the, 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 the current condition is every time there's a major rain event uh, at the center, we begin to knock out the, the use of some very valuable meeting rooms. Uh, in January, uh, we had a total buyout of the center. Um, a cor corporation bought it out and everything was set up for the next day's arrival. The rain event hit that night and uh, the staff had to evacuate about three of the meeting rooms, reset them up. So until we get a fix, we continue to have to deal with rain event after rain event. And, and that's unfortunate, but that's what we're faced with at the moment. Now, the $15 million fix, um, while not what we asked for, will at least deal with the, um, the, the incoming rain. But what it does is it will render the rooftop totally unusable during that period. So at the moment, we're looking at that 15 million and some other repair and maintenance dollars that we have on hand for some other projects. And uh, the, the team at the center is looking at other scenarios than just the $15 million. Uh, we will conclude what direction to take within the next few weeks. Uh, we're discussing it with our board. Uh, I'll be circling back to discuss it with our tourism chairs to make sure that whatever course of action we take, uh, we're all on the same page uh, and taking this incremental step into the future. Let's talk about the tourism season that is upon us. Of course, that is the summer season. Uh, what are you anticipating in terms of arrivals and making up the game, you know, for some of the losses that we've seen over the last few years? Also, would love to hear uh, about your trip to Japan with the governor and when we can expect more of those visitors to come as well. Sure. So let's take a snapshot of May, my last report, May 8 to 14, that, that one week, right? Statewide, we ran a 76.7% occupancy, and the average daily rate was north of $334. That is um, an incredible achievement in the month of May. So what we're looking at, and that's without Japan uh, as our primary international market uh, being fully reopened. We did enjoy some J Japanese arrivals during that week. But going into the summer, I think you're going to see both the occupancy and the average daily rate begin to, to increase. Um, the Japan trip, in my opinion, could not have been better timed. Um, on that trip was myself um, as a part of the Governor Ige delegation. First Lady Dawn Ige was with us, as well as Speaker of the House Scott Psyche. Uh, Speaker Saiki is the co-chair of the Japan-Hawaii Legislative um, Friendship Association and very important set of relationships uh, there with the legislative branch. You would be hard-pressed um, to find another governor in the nation who could secure an appointment with the Prime Minister, uh, Fumio Kishida. And that request and that uh, respect 
was given to uh, Governor Ige, and it was one of the highlights of the the visit, as well as the U.S. Uh, I'm sorry, the Japan Minister of Foreign uh, Affairs, uh, Mr. Hayashi. Uh, in each of these meetings, as well as with the legislative branch, reaffirming the importance of the Hawaii-Japan relationship within the context context of Japan-U.S. relations, constantly reinforced. Every meeting, you, you could hear people referring to the century-long relationship that Japan has enjoyed uh, historically and culturally uh, that Hawaii and Japan has enjoyed together as really the foundation upon which increased commerce, increased tourism uh, can occur. Um, anybody that goes to Japan comes home and already you start missing the food that's there. And, uh, you know, the food is so compatible with what we eat uh, back here. I will tell you that uh, in every case, and uh, the other gentleman that was on the, on the delegation was Director Mike McCartney from DBED. So the, the, the trip had three primary goals, government relations, strengthening that, and beginning to explore how uh, restrictions in the pandemic will start to become relaxed, uh, both internal to Japan and then uh, restrictions that will help foster um, greater confidence in traveling out of Japan to Hawaii. So government relations, very important, as well as at the legislative level. Secondly, there was a business development component that DBED led and um, had to do with meeting with digital technology companies, renewable energy companies, uh, you've got a couple of partners in Japan who are developing real estate in EVA that they met with. And then, of course, we dedicated about two and a half days to meeting with our travel partners, uh, the airlines, the wholesale operators, those that do package tours. Uh, to say there's a pent-up demand in Japan uh, is a slight understatement. I mean, there's there's a fervor there to come back to the islands Um uh, but, you know, we're not going to get there overnight. Um, at the moment, you're going to see a higher-end traveler uh, who's a lot more confident to make that expenditure right now. But I think as we get into July, August, you're going to start seeing some increased number of air seats and, um, and a greater degree of confidence that uh, we can travel to and from each other's countries and um, um, and feel confident that uh, the right measures are in place. So, you know, in speaking just generally, you laid out a, a few months uh, there where we could expect to see that. But was there any discussion when those meetings with the prime minister or any of the other officials uh, that would mark maybe an official start date or a time where uh, this will be an opportunity for those Japanese residents, as well as residents in Hawaii, uh, to once again visit Japan? Sure. You know, there weren't, uh, there were not, official dates, but I think you're already beginning to see it. Um, as soon as we got back from Japan, it was announced that the number of inbound visitors, that cap had moved from 10,000 to 20,000 effective, I believe, June 1. And, and as you start to see the uh, domestic restrictions become more relaxed, um, that is a precursor to the fact that international travel is right around the corner. Uh, we were given some specific dates from the airlines, but out of respect for them and 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 their 
rollout of the public announcement. I'm going to hold off on that. But in the in the weeks ahead, you're going to hear um, uh, announcements by uh, Japan Airlines and ANA uh, about what their summer and fourth quarter air capacities are going to be. So um, again, out of respect for them, I'm going to let them make that announcement. They're pretty excited about it. Frankly. <laughs> you know, when the governor was on here ahead of his trip, he said that one of the things he would be discussing with leadership there would be perhaps some kind of special provision or waiver for Japanese nationals who want to come to Hawaii so that the quarantine restrictions and other COVID measures were mitigation measures were not as cumbersome. Was there any uh, discussion of that? Will that be necessary, do you think? You know that there was discussion about it, and and frankly, the discussions along that line had been initiated. I, I can recall going back um, more than a year when there was a, a talk about, in fact, maybe two years now, where there was talk about um, creating a Japan Hawaii bubble. Uh, the term bubble was not used, but the idea that Hawaii has uh, taken extreme precautions throughout to keep our community safe, that our COVID counts and our hospitalizations are lower than um, the, the hotspots in the continent of the United States. And there was a recurring um, request to consider detaching Hawaii from uh, the entire mainland when making those kinds of designations. Now, there was no commitment being made, but you know, I appreciate the fact that uh, on their end, they were open to the discussion. I certainly appreciate the fact that the Speaker of the House, Psyche, and Governor Ige um, have been very candid and direct about that. Uh, for a moment there, I began to feel like I was in the middle of sovereignty talks for Hawaii, but we won't go there. But if, it certainly felt sovereign. <laughs> what a... Moving on, one of the things that uh, we always like to do is bring in questions. Heidi's asking a question here. Uh, if airlines will start or continue to partner with uh, educational videos, we know that that has been a big part coming out of COVID-19 is this whole concept of sustainable tourism and, you know, the Malama Aina and those efforts to really help educate people uh, outside of Hawaii about the uniqueness of our environment and how to be a responsible traveler. Uh, can you speak to that, especially as you talk about the return of these Japanese tourists? Are any... Uh, videos or any sort of campaign being done on that end to when when we welcome in those visitors that they understand these lessons. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we have um, a series that relates to Malama, which you've all seen. And then re more recently, we have a Kuleana set of videos, right? I, I will tell you, and this does not come as any surprise to those of us that know the Japan market, there is a level of respect and mindfulness about that the traveler from Japan uh, that actually, in my opinion, is a standard with which all markets should strive for. Because, and I, and I do believe it's because the, the culture of Hawaii, where, whether it's the Native Hawaiian culture or the multi-ethnic Kamaina culture, the, the values that we have, the values that we live by are compatible to that and run parallel in many cases to that of Japan, right? Uh, they very much respect their sacred sites, their ancestors, right? Family tradition, all of those things. So the messages of Malama and Kuleana translate extremely well in Japan. And uh, we were privy to a number of uh, 
campaigns that they're developing uh, in which there is a total integration of that messaging. And I'll, I'll say this, um, both Japan Airlines and um, ANA uh, spoke about that, not only in the context of travel to Hawaii, but uh, what impressed me um, a lot, in, in, and it was consistent, Japan has made a massive commitment to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And you go into business meetings, it's not unusual to see them wearing on their lapel uh, that particular insignia, uh, which affirms that that corporation is committed. Well, you, you know, the, the Sustainable Development Goals is like one mega macro malama global campaign. And so the idea that Hawaii is, is repositioning and coming at this with a different mindset around Hawaiian cultural values is uh, being extremely well received, a vigorous reception, I got to say, um, in, in the presentations that we saw in the campaigns that are now being implemented and that we can expect to see throughout the rest of the year. I want to stick with viewer questions here. Uh, and as arrivals go up, this is something that is top of mind for many. Is it possible to find out how they will address the water conservation for tourists that can rapidly deplete, deplete our island resources for residents that are conserving water? Uh, Ernie Lau was on our program on Friday and talked about the need for conservation efforts because of Red Hill and also because of the drought that we are currently experiencing statewide. Uh, what are the conversations like with the travel industry when it comes to cons conservation efforts right now? You know, time, timely um, question. I appreciate that. Last Friday, um, we convened, HTA convened a um, industry update in which um, Ernest Lau and Kathleen Pahinui and Brian, uh, board chairman, um, all three of them came together to address um, uh, the current status, what we can anticipate going forward in the summer. Uh, while there are no mandatory um, restrictions at the moment, uh, all of us reached out to the industry um, to take the voluntary steps in water conservation that we can. At HDA, we're trying to get that information um, from our industry stakeholder uh, partners uh, we'll have more to report on that going into the summer. Uh, Board of Water Supply has asked for that information as well. But uh, clearly, our, our local partners here understand uh, the current situation we're in and that the industry has a substantial role to play in that effort. Uh, another thing we want to bring up and just touch a little more on is uh, this past legislative session and just the overall structure of the Hawaii Tourism Authority. It seems like every session there is talks of uh, allocation of funding, restructuring, how things are going to be managed moving forward. Uh, we, we've seen a lot of evolution within uh, your uh, organization over the last few years. How would you say overall things went this legislative session uh, funding wise and, and how do you see it moving forward? Uh, with this continuing uh, evolution of the, of the department and the legislature's involvement in how it, the organization is funded? Yeah, I, I would I would say this that um, and 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 I say this in in a way of expressing the fact that you know this is how democracy works, right? Is that you've got two chambers uh, who, in many instances, do not agree 
the debate is actually healthy. Uh, we ended up with that session closing with the 60 million we asked for in operating funds. We actually came out with one additional position because our, our budget called for 25 job positions. We now have 26 that have been approved. And, um, and there were discussions about restructuring the department. Those bills did not survive, but I take to heart the, the message that the Senate and the House are sending in, in making the point that marketing tourism and branding Hawaii as a destination needs to be addressed in better balance with uh, the concerns being expressed by the community and managing uh, visitors once prior to their arrival, educating them, and once they're on the ground. So, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that we got the operating funds. I'm grateful that the, the job positions are there, that the expenditure ceiling got approved because that enables us to be more fluid in the way we uh, operate the, the convention center. And, and frankly, we didn't get the 64 million, but we got a set of tools that we can use and will use over the next two to three years to meet the, the request of um, uh, the legislature. You know, the one thing we all want to avoid is today you and I have a, a, a 50,000 seat stadium that is no longer functional. Okay, and uh, and we're not going to let that happen at the corner of Atkinson and Kapiolani. Um, and so whatever tools we were given, I'm grateful and, and going forward. Keep in mind, too, this is the first year in HTA's history that this budgeting process, keep in mind that my office reports to a 12-member board that's confirmed by the Senate. We're attached agency to DBED and the governor is, you know, to whom the authorities of Hawaii report. On top of that, now we have the whole House of Representatives and the state Senate. So there are no shortage of uh, bosses, okay? And, um, and it won't surprise any of you to know there's not a consensus agreement about what the future looks like. So it's incumbent on myself and my leadership team to pick up as many data points, to pick up as many um, uh, influences that we can find and, and navigate a course that number one is best for the people of Hawaii and our communities. And secondly, that we can meet and exceed the expectation of all of the visitor markets globally. And, um, and we have a team that's up to doing that. Another topical question here uh, speaks to something that I'm interested in as well. Ask him his feelings about crime, how crime is affecting tourism. Has he asked HPD and the DA to bring in weed and seed? It makes Waikiki a protected, vagrant, crime-free area. Um, we know that there are ongoing conversations between the prosecutor's office and HLTA. Uh, we've talked to Mufi Hanneman about this very issue. But uh, from your perspective, has the crime that we've seen uh, in Waikiki in recent months had any impact on tourism? And, and what are your concerns about that going forward? You know, it, it's, it's always going to, to have an impact, right? Everybody that's got a mobile device is a media company, okay? So every time something like this happens, um, pictures go out, the word, the word goes out, and um, anecdotally, I will say, I don't have... Uh, 
qualitative data, quantitative data, but it can only hurt, right? So every story where there is a setback like that or a crime committed um, is going to injure a, the brand that we have cultivated in Hawaii over a century, frankly, when the Aloha spirit became synonymous with that. So anything that operates counter to that spirit of Aloha is in fact impacting. And I credit the Hawaii Lodging and Tourism Association, President Mufi Hanneman for becoming extremely proactive on it, convening um, uh, all the agencies that are connected with uh, uh, crime. And um, he convened a, a meeting, I wanna say like 10 days ago, I was not able to attend, but uh, our chief administrative officer, Keith Regan did, it's, it's a nonstop, uh, process and uh, it, at HTA we remain committed to taking whatever steps we can to mitigate and eliminate that kind of uh, uh, threat. As we wrap up here, I do want to ask you a question more on a personal level. You've been in this position in this role now for about two years. Uh, what has been the most challenging part of this job for you that you've experienced uh, during your tenure here in leading this organization? Uh, you know, the most challenging position aspect of this is, oddly enough, it has to do with, you know, being prepared to think out of the box and to think um, bigger about Hawaii's role on a global stage, as opposed to just the 50th state of the U.S., right? And to that end, I, I, I look at um, the initiatives that are going on on every island in all the communities relative to caring for the environment, caring for children, caring for the health and safety of neighborhoods. When I look at all of those initiatives cumulatively, uh, what you see is these individual acts of Malama. When we use Malama, when I use Malama in, in the context of HTA, it's not as a campaign, but it is a way of life, come on in a way of life, and it is a call to action. Okay, and and what makes me proud and 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 inspires me is when I see this type of activity going on throughout the state uh, and our communities, and so being able to elevate that characteristic as part of repositioning Hawaii on the global stage is something I'm committed to. HDA is committed to, and um, I, I just encourage more people to get comfortable with that fact that Hawaii has much to teach the world. At the same time, we are taking in information from different parts of the world that we believe can help us. The Japan trip is a classic example of that. So short answer to your question is um, that we, we don't fear our own greatness because uh, the world needs Hawaii to emerge. Yes, indeed. I think that's a wonderful place to leave our conversation this morning. John DeFries, CEO of the Hawaii Tourism Authority, thank you so much for spending your morning with us. And get rid of that bad hair photo. <laughs> <laughs> We're on it. We will talk to the graphics department this morning. Uh, all right. Appreciate <laughs> thank you guys. You so much. Thank you. Aloha. Always wonderful to hear from him. And you really heard a pretty conciliatory, conciliatory tone there talking about uh, you know, his experience with the legislature this session. Uh, the last session was fairly contentious given 
uh, the funding restrictions that were put in place and a lot of the cuts that he then subsequently had to make. Uh, he expressed satisfaction that the budget was there and the jobs are there, despite the fact that you saw that article by Allison Schaefer's in the paper this morning. If you haven't read it, please go ahead and do so. Talking about, you know, the, that the agency had asked for $64 million, they're going to get 15 and what he described as some other tools to try to figure out other mechanisms to support that that project or that facility going forward. What he doesn't want to see, he said, is to that turn into, you know, what Aloha Stadium now is to the state, which is a facility that we can't use, but still costs us a lot of money. Yeah, uh, understanding and recognizing the importance that the convention center plays to the overall industry as a whole and making sure that the state is aware of some of the challenges that faced uh, the, the aging infrastructure uh, of the facility and moving forward, noting that uh, this is something that will need to be addressed, that a private and public partnership is something that they uh, could be pursuing in the future, although that does not have a roadmap or anything specifically lined out for a evolution in the way in which this facility is financed, recognizing that that may be the best path forward, uh, but noting that there are several tools right now for, to help them sort of evolve what that experience of the convention center looks like, but also noting that any time that there is a major rainstorm that happens, that the convention center becomes less and less operable in certain areas because of those damaging leaks. So we'll just have to continue to pay attention to see how that evolves. We also heard about his Japan trip, saying that he thought it couldn't have gone any better, uh, and also noting the significance about being able to meet with the prime minister and the governor Ige having that relationship to be able to foster that discussion overall and that he uh you know to use his words said that the uh the fervor that the japanese have for coming to hawaii would be an understatement that there is a definite demand and they are uh, excited about returning to the islands yeah and it does sound like we will be hearing in the coming weeks about uh perhaps new routes or expansion of routes uh maybe not new routes but at least standing up existing routes uh between the islands and japan he didn't want to get ahead of our travel and of the industry partners but saying that we should expect some announcements from those airlines about increasing capacity we know that there's a lot of pent-up demand on this side too uh, to get on those airlines going back to Japan, uh, but really a lot of folks in the travel industry here in Hawaii miss that particular set of international visitors. Uh, and he also talked about how they are working with those partners to increase that awareness uh, in the Malama Hawaii uh, campaign and trying to make sure that the tourists who do come uh, understand the host culture and how to respect it. Yeah, and also we just heard from him on how HC is also staying abreast and connected with some of the other issues happening from uh, the water shortages, of course, that uh, due to the result of what's happening at Red Hill, noting that that is something conservation of water is going to be important uh, in that communication with visitors, as well as crime and the impact that we're seeing uh, here on the island of Oahu and throughout the state, really, with uh, more and more crime that is being reported, uh, that it could be something that will impact the, the uh, HTA's ability to market Hawaii as a safe destination. Uh, and one that they will continue, again, to stay connected with, with other partnering agencies. So uh, always great to hear from him. On uh, Wednesday, we will be switching gears and heading over to the island of Maui. That's right. We're going to be talking to Maui Mayor Mike Victorino, getting an update on what's happening in his county. Uh, we see these COVID numbers continue to go up. We know that Maui had their own set of restrictions at one point. Is that something that the mayor could be considering? He obviously, you know, his island, his county rather, is a hot tourist destination. How are they preparing for the summer months? We know that Maui uh, often gets crushed just by the impact of all those visitors coming at the same time. So what is this? What is the county doing to make sure that that goes smoothly this summer. Lots to talk about with Mayor Mike Victorino. So we look forward to that conversation right here Wednesday at 1030. We'll see you then. Aloha.
This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Longs Drugs.